Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Ronald Woodeman, Exhibitions and Public Programs Director at the Smithsonian Latino Center. He will talk about the Smithsonian, the world's largest museum, education, and research complex, which includes a Latino center that ensures Hispanics are well represented in our American history. I want to thank all of you following Jesse Garcia's show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the show, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention Latinos in the DC area who work for the federal government. You're invited to a federal Hispanic networking event taking place Thursday, March 15th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Ronald Reagan Building, located at 1300 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. As a way to connect more Hispanics and federal government, the employee group Hispanics in Transportation has joined forces with several Hispanic affinity groups across federal agencies to bring you this event. They hope to connect Latinos at different grade levels to share best practices for professional development and promote career advancement. I hope you can join us. I'll be there with all my Latinos working for Uncle Sam. And here's your weekly news update. The nation is still in mourning following February 14th mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 people were killed and 15 were wounded when former student Nicholas Cruz entered the school from where he was expelled and shot his semi-automatic rifle after pulling an alarm. Among the dead was 17-year-old Joaquin Oliver. According to Miami station WPLG, the popular athlete had recently become a naturalized U.S. citizen in 2017. Joaquin had been in Florida since he was three years old, after his family moved to the United States to escape the turmoil in their native country of Venezuela. While many have called for tougher gun laws, Republican Congress members and President Trump issued statements of condolences that included thoughts and prayers and warned that it was too soon to be talking about gun control. The day after the shooting, President Trump addressed the nation, promising to make campus safety a top priority. But three days earlier, his administration released its 2019 budget that would cut millions of dollars from federal education programs designed to help school districts improve safety and provide mental health assistance. Political reported that the budget proposal would reduce funding for national school safety activities by $25 million compared to the amount funded in 2017. Senior Emma Gonzalez, who lost a friend in the shooting and has another friend in the hospital, pledged that her school would be the site of the nation's last mass shooting, according to the New York Times. In a viral video this past weekend, Gonzalez urged supporters to register to vote in order to change the laws. Several students from Stoneman Douglas High School have raised their voices in interviews and social media to protest inaction in Washington over gun violence. School walkouts are being planned for this spring across the nation, including a national rally in Washington, D.C. on March 24th. For more information about the D.C. rally, visit MarchForOurLives.com.
probably one of the coolest jobs on the planet is working at the world's largest museum, the Smithsonian. It's a job that allows you to keep learning something new each day. And you get to work inside a place nicknamed America's Attic, which houses more than 150 million historical artifacts. Now, imagine working in a special office dedicated to Latino history. Yes, the Smithsonian has a Latino center, which celebrated 20 years this past fall. To tell us more about the center, its featured programs, and recommended Smithsonian museums to visit during your trip to DC this summer, we have Ronald Wooderman, Exhibitions and Public Programs Director at the Smithsonian Latino Center. I'm honored to welcome Ronald Wooderman from the Smithsonian Latino Center to the podcast. Tell us about your center. Sure. Well, uh, I've had the privilege of working here at the Smithsonian Latino Center since uh, 2007, so a little bit more than 10 years. And we were created over 20 years ago, uh, really as a result of, you can call it cultural activism here within the Smithsonian and really within the kind of Latino studies world in general, where essentially uh, around 25 years ago, people within the Smithsonian and outside of it took a look at the institution and said, hey, where is the Latino, Latina, Latinx component? Um, this is an essential part of the American story. The Smithsonian claims to represent the U.S. experience. So where is all the Latino stuff? And of course, by Latino, I mean Latino, Hispanic, Mexican-American, mm-hmm. Boricua, Chicano, Chicano with an X, Latino with an X, <laughs> the whole bit, because as you know, we cast our net pretty pretty wide and have a pretty inclusive it's notion. It's a pretty tall order. A very tall order of managing the plurality that's within, you know, Latinhood. But we, we, can, we can talk about that as we go down the What's line. What's your background? Well, I'm half Venezuelan, half uh, U.S. American. I was born in Venezuela and uh, was raised outside of D.C. So one of the projects that we do here is called the Latino D.C. History Project, and that one's obviously very near and dear to my heart um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, And one of them mostly being that a lot of people don't think of the nation's capital as a place where Latino stories happen and have unfolded for years, really since around World War II. and to me, it's really important, being that it's the nation's capital, the backyard of the Smithsonian, to to highlight these stories. And not to get too off track and get into the topic <laughs> of Latino <laughs> DC history, but I guess that's what you yes. uh, edit. That's why you edit. Um, one of the great things about the local Latino story here is, on the one hand, this play, this is a really important site for Central American studies. Mm-hmm. So the stories in particular of Salvadorans, uh, especially Salvadorans leaving, uh, you know, escaping their civil war in the late 70s, throughout the 80s and 90s. That's a major part of the D.C. story, and really the story of D.C.'s growth is really tied up with that. But also um, something that unexpected that people don't think about when they think about D.C. is that its early history is really in many ways an Afro-Latino community story. So for a lot of reasons, I'm a big booster of exploring the Latino experience within D.C. and really D.C. and its suburbs, because as we know, this uh, D.C. is a really in a complicated and interesting place, uh, really in the old south between Maryland and Virginia. And we can get into a whole lot of other stories about Latinos interacting with African-Americans, with other uh, newer American communities like Asian-Americans, Koreans, Ethiopian-Americans, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, this is a great 
uh, regional Latino story that's well worth exploring. And that's one of the many projects that we do at the Latino Center. You recently celebrated your 20th anniversary. What are some of the latest innovations the center has experienced in its second decade? Um, That's a great question. And, you know, like I said, we came into being around 20 years ago really to respond to this gap in the Smithsonian's coverage, if you will, of Latino history and the Latino experience. So in the past 20 years, it has been um, a certain amount of hires. I won't say a ton of hires, but in the past 20 years is where our foundation was created in terms of people doing groundbreaking, in many ways, Latino studies research here. The Smithsonian American Art Museum was perhaps the first or one of the first major U.S. quote-unquote mainstream museums to start collecting the work of Latino artists in a very intentional, conscious way, and has continued with that, has hired Latino art curators. Um, In the past 20 years is when we had our first uh, Latina curators here at the Smithsonian who acquired groundbreaking collections that I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, of uh, Marbet Perez, now deceased, unfortunately, at the American History Museum, who acquired the first and probably the greatest uh, Puerto Rican material culture collection, the Teodoro Vidal collection at the American History Museum that also came with some incredible art collections that went to the Smithsonian American Art Museum to the National Portrait Gallery. Uh, In the last 20 years, really actually created with this center was the Latino Initiatives Pool, because it takes money to make everything happen. So this uh, center was created with a sort of a fund that it manages internally to help promote uh, Latino projects across the institution. Um, And of course, I would say another one of the big pillars of the past 20 years that really accompanied the creation of the center, actually preceded it to some degree, was the Latino Museum Studies Program. And that essentially takes graduate students and exposes them to issues in museum work and really, in many ways, opens up doors for them in case they want to pursue uh, museum work in the future. And that's actually how I got into this field in the first place, is by participating in that Latino Museum Studies program. That's cool. Yeah. The Smithsonian Latino Center presents free events throughout the year that highlight Latino history, culture, and arts. What can we expect this year? One of the new directions that we're going in is actually opening opening up a long-term Latino gallery at the National Museum of American History. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so this is overdue is what it is. Um, and it is amazing. Amazing that maybe it's taken so long for it to <laughs> open. Uh, but it's at the American History Museum, so as you can imagine, the thrust of it will be historical recovery, mm-hmm. really grounding the Latino experience within American history, because it's not in textbooks. Nobody knows. This is really actually based on audience research where you ask Smithsonian visitors, hey, what do you know about the Latino experience? And by Smithsonian visitors, I mean, this is like, you know, 80 to 90 percent white, middle to upper class Americans, i.e. that's sort of in line with the usual, whatever usual means in terms of visitors to U.S. museums. Mm -hmm. So you ask them what they know about Latinos. And the good news is that they want to learn more, which is an important, that's an important part of the equation. The bad part is that they're like, eh, I don't know, aren't they all Mexicans, Cubans, Puerto Ricans? Well, those are the top three groups, mind you, more or less. Um, But beyond that, they don't have much of a clue. And there's also the notion of like, oh, and these are, they're all immigrants, right? Recent immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask Latinos like you and I who were educated here in the United States are maybe English dominant, 
So we'll know again because this isn't really in curricula, right? Nobody really learns this unless they do so because of their family or of their own volition. So essentially, if you're Latino raised here, you might learn about your own community or know about your own community, but it's probably either through a kind of regional bias or the particular or regional perspective and maybe through the bias of like your parents, maybe what class you're in, whatever wave of migration you're or whatever in. whatever your state allowed you to learn about. Exactly, facts. exactly. Yeah, So there are a lot textbooks. of textbooks. So that's a, through a lot of different filters. And then if you are first generation, just got here from Latin America, you're going to think this gallery is all about Latin America. Yeah. Because you're not really going to have a clue or any notion that, hey, there's this whole Latino story within U.S. history that even predates U.S. history, which he was a Tejano. I don't need to tell you that. Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> Yeah, so um, since we're planning for this gallery, right, we have slowed down our public program schedule. Mm -hmm. um, that said, this year you can anticipate a couple things. One is that um, our LGBT programming is still happening. Uh, we normally do it for Pride Month in June. Last year we ended up doing it in October, which is LGBT History Month. Also, of course, Hispanic Correct. Heritage Month, you know. A lot um, of intersections. A lot of intersections, especially, and that's really what we're all about here in this office. So definitely some uh, programming around the LGBT experience, probably in June. Uh, we're going to have a few programs. Um, dates are all TBD at the moment, but by March we'll have our cal calendar sol uh, solid exploring uh, the experience of uh, Latina educators in D.C., Awesome. That'll be a local talk in the spring. In the fall, we're going to do another a, sort of a part two of a talk we did earlier called uh, Conversation with Old School uh, DC Latinas. And so our talk number one was with a DC-born uh, Dominican painter that's been in, well, living in DC for most of her life. And part two, we'll be talking with some uh, Cuban-American women who were part whose families are part of that early DC experience and whose experiences really go between identifying as Latinas, as Cubans, as Caribeñas, but also as African-Americans. So that should be a really interesting yeah, conversation. Right, right, and in particular, not just these folks here in DC have uh, an Afro-Latino consciousness, but when, you know, their families also went to like historically black colleges and universities and really grew up also very much as African-Americans and often being perceived as African-Americans. So this should be an inter definitely an interesting conversation about just sort of uh, identity, race, experience, and you know, what, what Latino history means in a place like Washington, D.C. What website can they go to to get like the actual, when the dates come out? Yeah, uh, latino.si.edu. And that's Smithsonian Institution, si.edu. And that is the website for the Smithsonian Latino Center. That's where we have our upcoming programs and often the videos of the past programs that we have done. Great. Uh, what is the general website? Because I have a lot of visitors that come yeah. to D.C. and they want to know what to check out in the Smithsonian. Yeah. If you had like a top three that once they get on the ground here on the National Mall and they see all the museums mm -hmm. available to them, it's almost like it's overwhelming because there's Absolutely. Just so many museums and so many exhibits. What are the top ones that you would recommend Latinos families? To sure. 
Absolutely. And definitely everyone's like, okay, I'm here to see the Smithsonian. And then you get here and you say, what do you mean there are 19 different museums and five research centers? <laughs> so start off your journey by going to si.edu. Super simple website. Again, that's for Smithsonian Institution. si.edu. And thinking about Latino families coming to D.C. maybe for the first time, I have three and a half recommendations. Okay. Okay. And thinking about, okay, well, what do you want to do when you come to a museum? And maybe thinking of these families as not necessarily people who are going to a museum every weekend either, right? Yeah. So we want to make it fun. We want to make them, show them stuff that's beautiful, inspirational, also different, because your curiosity is inspired by exactly. difference. And also that has a multi-generational appeal. Yeah. So my top choice is going to be the National Portrait Gallery. This is off the mall in Chinatown, different part of D.C., very close part to the National Mall. And here's basically where you can see all the presidents and a whole cast of characters, uh, men, women, disabled people, Latinos, Asian Americans, African Americans, queer Americans, all kinds of people who have been actors, who have been the people who have shaped American history and see them in portraits. So basically it's a little bit of art, it's a little bit of history and biography. And what's great about this museum is that we've all probably had a little bit of American history growing up so that we can recognize either just by virtue of knowing a few presidents or by our knowledge of popular culture or just by reading newspapers. It's an easy place to kind of connect with the American story and it's very accessible. And it has something for really all kinds of different generations. Great. So, and makes you feel like you're learning at the same time and you're in a very cool uh, architectural space. My second choice, and this is like one and a half choices, uh, I would say the American History Museum. And it's definitely a, a must. It's, it's a must, and really mostly not just to kind of passively, passively absorb what you're seeing, but really going in there to be an empowered and critical viewer and seeing like, hey, okay, this is a U.S. experience, but maybe what's missing, you know? And then if you can, if, you, if the tickets are available, go into the African American History and Culture Museum and sort of compare those two museums and think to yourself, hey, what do I want to see in a Latino gallery? Exactly. You know, so it's important to sort of be to to know what we want from our cultural institutions and museums in terms of representation. We have to go out there and sort of see what's what's on view right now and how is American story being told. I, I went to go visit the African American Museum and I was just amazed of how big the pieces were and yeah. how simple like a kettle that was used to right. make rice and beans in New right. Orleans, or right. Washington, D.C., I'm sorry, and how they decided that that would be something that belongs in that museum. Yeah. And I thought it was just really nice, the stories behind all these little Absolutely. small Absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's not going to be all Picassos. You know, most of the important stories in the world can be sort of found within these more modest objects that you're saying that really are much more connected to daily life and the work and the memories of the kind of people that we know from our families or from down the street and which really is history and part of our task is to really say like hey let's become sort of historically conscious let's try to preserve our stuff our community's memories because what we live today that is history and that's an important thing to preserve 
Museum. Now, number three, I'll say it real quick, <laughs> is the National Museum of African Art. And I could have thrown in a bunch of different number threes, but National Museum of African Art, I think, is important for Latinos to visit because I don't know how many African art museums are available to us in our local communities. And for many people, this will be different and sort of inspire a lot of conversations about like, wow, the, you know, this is sort of a different way of representing shapes or cultures or, or sort of belief systems. So because I think all it's, of our learnings from the West, Western side of the world, Western side Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really privilege Europe and, yeah. and the U.S. So we get to see a different perspective yeah. of what is considered you know, aesthetically pleasing. Exactly. That and also we get represented either negative images of Africa or really reductive images of Africa where it's like, Africa, it's just one place. And it's like, well, actually, it's this cornucopia of different civilizations and cultures that have changed over time and have a ton of regional linguistic, you know, cultural variety to them. And what's amazing is that all of these are free. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so take advantage of that. I mean, that... Free and open every day of the year except for December 25th. Something that we definitely need to be taking advantage of. Amazing. Ronald, what made you get involved with the Smithsonian? Yes, well, um, I was brought here really because, weirdly enough, because of Spanish language TV, mm -hmm. which I feel is so bad. And doesn't meet our needs. You know, there's so much of Spanish language television has like outright, <coughs> it, it has outright racism or weird bad colorism, sends weird messages about sort of class, um, doesn't have casting that reflects the audience in general. And maybe worst of all, just is not as good a sort of product as I think we deserve. So for me, it was the notion that back when I was in my 20s that I wanted to work with other Latinos to kind of encourage our own cultural production that wasn't dependent on maybe just watching TV or sort of recycling bad, tired ideas um, that are sent, you know, that, that we get exposed through to, through kind of commercial programming. So for me, I really thought that we needed better, more high-impact programming, so I really wanted to be part of an institution like the Smithsonian, which offers cultural access for free. And for me, all this became possible really because I stumbled into the Latino Museum Studies program offered at the Smithsonian, and I was in my late 20s. I really had no idea that museum jobs were a thing or a possibility, and I did this fellowship, and I met my former mentor, the woman who I'd met mentioned earlier, Marbet Perez at the National Museum of American History, and I saw that she was doing an exhibit about Celia Cruz, and at the time I was writing zines and doing weird little street art about kind of Caribbean music and awesome. writing in English and Spanish about music culture, and I thought, I've got to work with this woman, and I've got it. and that was my first exhibit. What there was no looking back. <laughs> How can young people get involved with the Smithsonian? Yeah, well, the uh, two things that I would direct uh, students to, and it depends if they're undergraduates or graduate students, but either way, there are internships and fellowships that I would definitely take advantage of. Now, there's a very competitive program for graduating high school seniors called the Young Ambassadors Program that people should look 
into. And again, that is if you're graduating from college and you're about to, if you're graduating from high school and you're about to go into college, this is a program that takes around 15 or 17 uh, bright students that have a real interest in the sciences and the humanities and brings them here for a week and exposes them to all kinds of curators, public intellectuals, designers, artists, all kinds of folks that are working in the humanities and sciences. And really what, really what it is, it's a youth leadership program. And awesome. it ends up culminating in a month-long internship at a local uh, Smithsonian affiliate museum. Now, that's the Young Ambassadors program. I mentioned the Latino Museum Studies program. That's for graduate students who are doing uh, something to do with Latino studies that want some exposure to museum work. Uh, but more generally, there are all, all kinds of internships and fellowships for undergraduates and graduate students. And if you're an intern, uh, an undergraduate, I would definitely look at one of the minority internships, which come with a nice stipend, and a paid internship is what you want to do. Um, look for that, because that really creates a lot of opportunities um, that you can leverage in your future. They can find these on si.edu? Yeah, go to si.edu and look for one of the tabs that says fellowships and internships. Well, thank you so much. I really You're appreciate it. You're welcome. For Thanks for your interest. And we hope to see a lot of Latino families this summer. Amen. I los espero. <laughs> thank you. Alrighty. Nos vemos.